0: And if you don't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament passage of 1 Kings. The Old Testament passage of 1 Kings and chapter number 17. The book of 1 Kings and chapter number 17. As we are now beginning our brand new series of the life and ministry of Elijah and Elisha, we can see that God is at work. And we started by setting the scene on Wednesday night by speaking about the dark times that this occurred in. Sometimes be, people believe that great revival and great miracles can only happen when everything's going good, when all the politics are right and all the peop, right people are in government. But you understand that the time of Elijah and Elisha was in the darkest period of Israel's history. You have the king Ahab who's who was already provoking God, and we could see that God said this statement of Ahab, that he, Ahab, did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that came before him. That's a pretty bad setting when you have a king that God says, he did more to provoke me. Remember that word provoke carries the idea of taking a stick and poking it into a cage, maybe of a lion. Can you take a uh, stick and poke, poke, poke? What's going to happen to a lion if you do that enough? The lion is not going to be happy. And what you have here is Ahab who did more to provoke, poke, 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 poke he did more to provoke god to anger and remember this phrase carries the idea that it was done on purpose well i didn't accidentally provoke poke the lion 50 times that was a purposeful intentional he said i don't care what god says i'm going to do my own thing and he did more to provoke god to anger than any king that came before him and this is the king that's ruling when the great revival occurred with Elijah and Elisha but we could see that God is at work and so if you don't mind as we finally see Elisha is our Elijah is introduced into the setting we find our way to the book of first kings chapter 17 the book of first kings chapter 17 and if you don't mind notice with me in verse number one the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17. Notice with me in verse number 1. And Elisha the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain. <coughs> these years, but according to my word. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, which is before Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, which that is before jordan and the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening and he drank of the brook and it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had not had been no rain in the land. And if you have the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that Elisha claims to Ahab in the book of 1 Kings chapter number 17? 1 Kings 17, and notice with me in verse 1 where he says, The Lord God of Israel liveth. The Lord God of Israel liveth. And with the Lord's help, we're going to start off with this simple statement. The Lord God liveth. The Lord God liveth. And if you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you now, we're just asking that you would just give grace, that you would give mercy, that you would give us understanding now, that we can see that you're the God who just doesn't work and just doesn't only needed for the big times. But Lord, we need you every day. We need you every hour. We need you to take care of us and that help us to be aware, help us to understand our need of you and that we do serve and depend upon a living God. Again, I ask that you show yourself real, that you show yourself amazing, that you would manifest yourself, that we may learn of you. As for myself, I dare not trust myself today. I dare not... I just need you even now in this message. Lord, reveal yourself. Show yourself to reveal. Fill me with your precious spirit. And once again, you get your own work accomplished through your precious word. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. What a powerful declaration. The Lord God liveth. We serve a living God. He's not a dead God. He's not an absent God. He's not a God that's far away. We serve a living God. And because he lives, I've got hope for tomorrow. Because he lives, I can expect him to care for me as he promised. Because he lives. Remember as we go back to the setting, that Israel, the northern kingdom, had 18 kings. Each one of them were evil. They didn't have a single good king of the of the divisions of northern kingdom. And here is Ahab, one of the worst, in fact, the worst up to the date. It is under his reign and under his, the corruption he brought that we have Elijah appear upon the setting. So Elijah is raised up by God and he faces a godless society, a society where God is defied, denied, displaced, and disobeyed. And it looks pretty bleak. But a mighty revival is going to pop out because of the things that God is doing. But before the mighty revival can occur, he's working with his man and preparing his man to trust God on a daily basis. The first thing I'd like to show you as we examine these verses here in 1 Kings chapter 17 is we see the warning from the living God. The warning from the living God. Now, Elijah appears from nowhere. We see Ahab and all the evil, and all of a sudden, Elijah pops up. There's no warning. There's no preparation. All of a sudden, he is there, and he's standing before the king. There's no backstory. There's no lineage, but he was already there. Now, remember, Ahab has already declared that God is dead. If you remember in 1 Kings chapter 16, notice with me in verse 31 as a reminder. And it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jericho. Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. Remember that the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, was the idea that we could worship God however we want as long as we say in Jesus' name or as long as we claim that it is God that's doing it. But that is not true at all. In fact, God hated that sin. But yet, Ahab had started off by walking in that same tradition. Oh, we could do anything in the name of worship just as long as we say we're doing it for God. But then, notice what it says, as if it had been a light thing. As if it was no big deal to make God angry by doing that. As if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabot. He took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians. And went and served Baal and worshipped him. Now all the way up from Jeroboam to Ahab, all of the kings gave lip service to the God of Israel. Now, they didn't follow him. They didn't believe in him. But they had all of the words of the day. They would have the right sayings at the right time. and They would have the right religious speak. And all the different things that go along with that. But Ahab, when he married Jezebel, who was not a Hebrew, she had come from a land called Phoenicia that served the thunder god Baal. In fact, her daddy's name was Ethbaal, which is a derivation that, hey, I serve Baal. That when he married Jezebel, he declared to all of Israel, God is dead. We're no longer serving him. We're going to go to a better God. And he began to serve Baal. So this is a time here where they weren't even giving lip service to God anymore. Ahab had already previously declared that God was dead. But you know what the message of Elisha was? The Lord God liveth. I don't care what you say about God. By the way, we had in our modern times, you had a man by the name of Nietzsche. Who declared that God was dead. And all of the theologians and atheists jumped on that. And announced to the world that God was dead. Well, let me tell you, if God is dead, who did the autopsy? Who pronounced him dead? And how come they didn't notify the next of kin? God is not dead. No matter what people want to say. And no matter what they want to do to ignore the fact. The Lord God liveth. But again we're painting the society here. We have a society that is saying in Elijah's day. God is dead. We don't want to follow him. We don't care what he says. We're going to disobey him. We're going to do whatever we want. We don't care what the Bible says. And it is in the midst of that. That God shows himself real and that he is still alive. And so Elijah the Tishbite, one of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab. Now again, can you imagine what courage, bravery, audacity that would be? For Ahab to be going around and say, we're no longer serving God, we're serving Baal. And from some preacher to put his bony finger in his face and said, listen here, as the Lord God liveth. He went and stood before Ahab. How many volunteers would we have for you to do that? He stood before Ahab and said, listen here. As the Lord God liveth before whom I stand. Now this is an important phrase here. He says, Ahab, the same time as I'm standing here, I'm also standing in the presence of God. Where did he get the audacity? Where did he get the boldness to stand before Ahab? Because he had already learned how to walk in the presence of God beforehand. When you know that God is with you, you could face anything. You see that old biker over there that in the middle of winter it's 20 below and yet he's only wearing a vest and no shirt on and tattoos and big and huge. What gives you the boldness to go talk to him? When you learn how to walk in the presence of God. How do you witness to a coworker? worker Well, you're able to do it when you learn how to walk in the presence of God. How is it that you could talk to a family member and tell them how important it is for you to be in church? You could only do that when you've learned how to be in the presence of God yourself. And so he says, Ahab, the same time as I'm talking to you, I'm in the presence of a living God now. And I'm letting you know, Ahab, notice again as he says, as the Lord God of Israel liveth before whom I stand, there shall not be dew.'" nor rain these years, but according to my word. Now again, that's a pretty bold statement for some preacher to stick his bony finger in the king's face and said, listen here, it's not going to rain until I say so. There, see you later. Bye. It's not going to rain. Now again, this is some big deal. He says, as the Lord God liveth, now, who was it that, that Ahab had t- turned to instead of God? Well, he turned to the Canaanite god of Baal. Who was Baal, by the way? Baal is the thunder god. He is the god who the people would pray to to bring the rain. Now, remember, in this part of the world, it is a desert society that is dependent on rain. Rain. It is an agricultural society that's dependent on crops, which in case you don't remember, needs rain to grow. And so for him to say, listen, it's not going to rain and there's nothing you could do about it until God brings it in. I want you to imagine, let's fast forward time. So Elijah disappears. And you can imagine Ahab going back and going, Jezebel, you'll never believe what happened to me today. I had some crazy wild-eyed preacher come up to me and he said, it's not going to rain because God of Israel lives. <laughs> can you imagine that? And Jezebel said, you shouldn't be talking to those preachers. They're nothing but scum. Yeah, I just want to let you know about my day. And they all laughed about it. Maybe he told some other people. But then it came time for planting season and they plant the crops and no rain. So you could imagine Jezebel gathering up her troops. And she was a very religious lady, by the way. She had 400 priests dedicated to her service. She was a very religious lady. So they gather up all the, the priests of Baal and said, all right, Baal, make it rain. And Baal wouldn't answer their prayers because Baal's not alive. Baal doesn't live and so they asked Baal and rain didn't come and you know it's inconvenient but that's how it goes and so no rain crops didn't grow harvest is short well we got some things in storage maybe next year and so the next year they plant the crops and no rain happens and now they're starting to get a little bit desperate come on Baal do something And Baal's not answering the prayers. Baal's not doing anything. This thunder god, where's he at? Nothing. By the time year three happens. By the way, Elijah didn't say anything. We understand the end of the story. It's going to be three and a half years. But he didn't say a time phrase. He says, it's not going to happen until I say. So by the time year three happens, you can imagine that there are milk cartons all over. Have you seen this man? And he's the most wanted person. Because Baal's not answering. We need to find this Elijah guy. He said that it's not going to rain until he says so. Everyone be on the lookout. So you go to the post office and you could see Elijah up on the news. You could see it broadcasted. Have you seen this man? They have the facial reconstruction. Ahab's trying to remember. What does this guy look like? They're looking for Elijah. Where is he at? And not there. Where is Elijah? What happened to him? Where did he go? Did he move to Tahiti? Is he in the witness protection? Where did he go? Well, we could see not only the warning from God, that we could see that Ahab's little g-god could do nothing for it. We could see that there is a living God who is working with his preacher during these next three years. The next thing I want to show you is the waiting on the living God. The waiting On the living God. So Elijah goes and puts his bony finger in Ahab and says, Listen, it's not going to rain. It's not going to do. No moisture until I say so. See you later. And just left. Well, we could see what happened afterwards. Elijah (laughs) left. Ahab's just laughing. Doesn't know what's going to happen. But notice in verse number 2. And the word of the Lord came unto him, that's Elijah, saying, Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is, before the Jordan. So the brook Cherith, by the way, is like a little wadi, that's what they call a river there, that connects to the Jordan River. So he's by a little creek that is going to eventually dump into the Jordan River. And God says, I want you to go hide out there. I want you to go camp out in the woods. I want you to camp out in the desert by this little brook. And that's where I want you to be at. Notice as God gives him more instructions. He says, verse number four, And it shall be that thou shalt have drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he, Elijah, went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith that is before Jordan. So immediately after his confrontation with Ahab, God sent Elijah away. Now this wasn't to keep the prophet safe as much as it was to keep the promise that it wouldn't rain till Elijah spoke. And so God is hiding his prophet from the people and he's waiting three and a half years. He's keeping his prophet away from them. Now during this time the people are looking for Elijah but God is taking care of him. Now I want you to think about Elijah during this time. He is separate from all (laughs) living beings. He has no buddy to talk to. He has no internet, no Facebook, no newspapers, no television. He is totally secluded and he is totally dependent upon God during this time. He is separated into God. Here he's proving that God is alive in the commonplace. He is proving that God is alive in the every day. That God is having to meet him for his daily needs. He doesn't have a quick trip to go and get some extra things. There's no Walmart. There's no Cornerstone. He doesn't travel anywhere. His instructions was to stay there. And to wait. I want you to think about his life. Day after day, it was the same thing. Day after day, it was commonplace. He didn't have any new newspapers. Nothing new. It was the same day after day after day. And yet he had to trust God in the day after day after day. You know, in order to prove God, we must first be able to prove Him in the daily needs. Before you could ever trust God for a big, major answer to prayer, before you could expect and trust God to do a big miracle, you have to learn to trust God for your daily needs and your everyday. Where you're at, you have to learn to walk with Him and to trust Him while you're doing laundry, while you're driving to work, while you're at work, to be able to trust Him in dealing with family, dealing with coworkers, dealing with Him. And it is also during this time that Elijah Elijah was proved to be a servant. I want you to think about this question. What is the only job of a servant? The only job of a servant is not to serve. If you answer that wrong, then you confuse everything. What is the only job of a servant? It's to obey. The only job of a servant is to obey. Elijah's job, God said, wait here. And what was his responsibility? To wait. Now, the reason why I say when you answer that question wrong, you get everything else wrong, is that because there's some people that put their value in their service. Meaning that if, if they don't feel like they're serving... Then they don't feel like they're getting anything accomplished. They don't think they're right with God. And so they get to the place where they meet their value off a service. And they put their value on doing things rather than obeying God. The true job of a servant is to obey. The master told the servant to wait here. And the servant's job was to wait. To obey. To do what the master said. It is obedience where we learn how to trust God. It is obedience to God where we learn to trust him in a daily matter. Sometimes we look at all the things that need to be done and we could be overwhelmed and say, look at all the things that need to be accomplished. I'm not doing enough. And we could drive ourselves crazy by looking at all the things that need to be done. But in reality, the only thing that I'm supposed to do is what God has given me to do today. Am I doing what God has given me to do today? So that, you know what that means? That means that even though I'm a preacher, there are some days that God has given me to take off. And I'm not outside of God's will by taking that day off. There are times that God has given me to spend with my family. By the way, it's not a punishment to spend with my family. But I shouldn't be worried and fretting and feeling like, Oh no, I'm failing today because I'm not doing this and I'm not doing this. If God has given me to spend time with my family if you could forgive the personal illustration, there was a time in my life, in my healthier days, that when I served with my pastor, that we would have weeks where both my pastor and I would challenge each other to knock a thousand doors a week. And so we would do that and we had a great time. And and that's a good accomplishment. And that was good work. But then there was a time in my life where God broke my back. And because it was God that brought it into me. And there's been two periods in my life where doctors ordered me to stay in bed for two weeks and stare at the ceiling. Don't move because if I move just a little bit, it could sever my spine. Don't move. And you understand because God allowed that in my life, I was just as much in God's will in bed staring at the ceiling as when I was in healthy and obeying my pastor and knocking doors. Because my value is not in service. My value is in my obedience to God. And if he tells me to serve, then I serve. If he tells me to wait, then I wait. If he tells me to spend time with my family, I spend time with my family. If he tells me to rest, my job is to rest. That the only job of a servant is to obey. And when you learn to obey what God has given to you day by day, You learn to live in His presence. You learn to trust in Him. You learn to allow Him to guide you. That is what's necessary, to learn on the everyday things. So when the big things happen, you've already developed the habit of trusting in Him. And it is no big deal to trust Him for a small thing as well as it is to trust Him for a big thing. Because you've learned to prove Him. To learn to just obey as a servant I can trust my master. This is a big deal that honestly, American Christians have a hard time with because a lot of times we find our value in service, but we neglect the obedience. Sometimes God wants you to stop and sharpen your axe. It is never wasted time to sharpen your axe. We have Bible college students sometimes who will, after a couple of freshman classes, they want to go charge hell with a squirt uh, squirt gun. And they're ready to go. And they're not trained and they're not equipped yet, but they have so much zeal and they want to go out. But God didn't give them to go out. He gave them that time to train and to prepare themselves and to work. And it is not a waste of time. It is not a waste of time that we understand that Elisha is learning the principle here of obeying God and trusting him on a daily basis basis on a daily basis this is when he learns to wait on that living god he's learned to trust in him and he's waiting for instructions and he said god told me to be here until he tells me to do something else and i'm going to be here and yes i may be bored it may not have all the comforts and everything i want but this is where god told me to be and this is where i'm going to wait until he tells me to do something else obeying the last orders that authority is given to obey that's the key and that's where we learn how that God does miracles in our life is by watching him day by day by day the waiting on the living God which brings me to another thing that we see in this text that we could see the provision from the living God the provision from the living God. Notice if you don't mind in verse number 4, as God is giving instructions to Elijah, I want you to go by the brook Cherith, and by the way I'm going to take care of you. Notice with me in verse 4, and it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, there is his water, it is provided, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, and he went and dwelt by the brook Cherith, that is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and fish in the morning and bread and fish. Or, sorry, <laughs> excuse me, bread and flesh, forgive me, bread and flesh in the morning and bread and flesh in the evening. And he drank of the brook. What we see here is at this time, God is showing himself alive by providing for Elijah's meats. And he's using it by sending ravens of all things to send him food twice a day. Now, this is a great miracle because of who ravens are. If you do a study of ravens, this miracle becomes even a bigger thing. What do we learn about ravens? Why ravens? Well, first of all, ravens are birds of prey. That ravens are more unlikely to steal your food or to pluck out his eyes than actually provide something here. So, God is using something that is actually a predator, actually using something that is mean and vicious. And God is using them to provide. For the needs of his man. Something else that you understand by studying ravens. Is that ravens are unclean creatures. They're unclean creatures. Not just because they need baths. But according to the Hebrew dietary law. These are unclean creatures. These are creatures that that the Hebrew people are not even supposed to mess with. And yet God is using unclean creatures. That his word said "Oh, you're not supposed to touch. He's using them to provide for him. God took care of Elijah with birds that are not supposed to be touched by him. That God oftentimes will take care of our needs in ways that we normally wouldn't expect or sometimes wouldn't even accept. Elijah, all he did was ate and he gave thanks for it. You know, God is able to do things in ways that we're not expecting. He's able to provide. You guys probably heard of the old adage of the guy who was in a flood and He was standing on top of his roof with the waters all around and said, God, provide me. You rescue me. And of course, a boat came and they said, jump on in. No, no, I'm waiting for God to uh, take care of me. And a helicopter came and he says, no, I'm waiting for God to take care of me. And then he died in the flood. And when he got to heaven, he said, God, why didn't you save me? He said, I sent you a boat and I sent you a helicopter. What do you want? You know, God is able to provide. And sometimes he'll do it in a way that you're not expecting. Just to show that he can. Just to go outside of our expectations. God is not confined within a box. And the more that you try to put him in a box, the more that he'll show he doesn't fit in a box. He will do things in a way that we're not expecting. That's one of the way, reasons why he sent a ravens. So ravens are birds of prey. Ravens were unclean creatures. Ravens also feed on insects and dead flesh. But you know what they brought Elijah? Bread and fresh meat. It wasn't rotten meat. And ravens usually don't carry bread. But God had them carry things that they normally wouldn't eat themselves. And cause them to come and bring them to Elijah. What a great miracle. It showed that God was in. It wasn't a type of thing. Well it was a coincidence. It wasn't an idea that Elijah sees a bird over there. And he's so hungry. And he's looking at that bird. And says man I could get something to eat. And he finds a way to sneak up. And grabs the bird. And takes the bread out of its face. And says all right go get me some more. And it wasn't that idea of all. God's the one who sent these birds. To provide Elijah on an everyday basis. Something else we understand about ravens is that they can only carry but a little. They may look like big birds up close, but they can't carry that much. It wasn't that every day that God had him bring a T-bone steak to him. And a baked potato wrapped in foil. It wasn't that he was able to carry some fried chicken. It was just a little bit. But Elijah... Because he was trusting in God, was able to be satisfied and be content with what God provided him. Sometimes when you're learning to trust in God, you learn to be satisfied with what God provides for you. And when you could be satisfied and not grumbling because you actually want a Burger King Whopper that's frame boiled, or you want a five guys double stack, and you look at all those things that you don't have, and you're looking at your cupboards and say, all I got is leftovers. You got to learn how to be content I'm preaching to Mina. you got to learn to be content because God knows how to provide for you. Oftentimes we as Americans are spoiled and we're not content. We're not satisfied with what's happened. And we often look at our cupboards and we look at our refrigerator and you stand and stare at it for 30 minutes just to determine there's nothing in there. And then you go complain and go drive somewhere and go get something anyways. We're not satisfied and we don't allow God to provide for us because we're not satisfied with what God does give to us. But that's what Elijah had to learn on a daily basis. Is to learn to be satisfied and content with what God had provided for him. And this is going to build up such a faith and trust and dependence on God. That he could trust him with the big things later on. Something else about ravens that makes us a big miracle. Is that ravens don't even feed their own young. They abandon. Once they they lay the eggs, they, they take off. The Bible even mentions this. Job chapter 38 verse 41 and Psalm 147 verse 9. God records that the ravens don't take care of their young. And yet God is using an animal that doesn't even take care of their own young to provide for his man, his preacher. See, we're trying to say that the idea of the ravens It's not just the idea that, oh, God allowed a bird to come. He's using a specific bird to show that it was God that was doing it. And that Elijah was learning to trust God for his daily needs in ways that he would have not normally done it. If you told him a year before, hey, guess what? God is going to feed you for a year, two years, however long it was, with a raven, he would have said, you're what? You're crazy. What do you mean? But he did it in such a way that Elijah didn't say, look at what the ravens are doing for me. He's saying, look at what God did for me. Look at how God provided. Look at what he has done for me. Now, all of this is preparing and teaching Elijah to depend on God for his daily bread, for his daily provision. He was being prepared to face the wicked king again and to be able to say, I'm standing in the presence of God. I could face you because I'm standing in the presence of God. Where do you learn this presence of God? Where do you learn how to be in the presence of God? On a daily basis. Learning to trust Him. Now I know as we go to Elijah and Elisha, there are going to be great miracles and great things that happen. Fire that come from the sky. Water that comes down from the command. People being raised to life again. But before any of those big things happened, it started On a daily basis of trusting God for his daily needs. For the daily miracles. If we're going to be used of God in an amazing way. We also have to learn that same school. To recognize that God is providing for us day by day. To be satisfied with him. And to be obedient to what God has given us to do. That the only job of a servant is to obey. And the servant is dependent upon his master. And when you learn that God is trustworthy, the Bible says in Psalms, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusted in him. When it says, oh, taste and see, it's not saying literally take a bite out of God. And, you know, here's a nice arm, nice meat. We're talking a lot about meat. What it is, is it's carrying the idea of experiencing God. Like when you eat, you can look at a hamburger on a commercial, go mmm, but to experience it yourself, that, oh, taste and see. When you taste and see, when you experience God for yourself, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. When you learn to experience God and to do it for yourself, to trust him for yourself, you'll see that it is good to trust in him and you'll be blessed. This is how God will build up your faith, build up your trust in him, to trust him for the big things that come in your life. So again, uh, many people will come with the idea, they're ready to trust God for the big things. But you're not going to be able to trust God for the big things unless you've learned to trust him on your daily needs. And be obedient to him day by day. Then you'll build up the ability to, that it's no big deal to trust him for the big things. Because you've built up the habit of trusting him for the small.